You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. In my lifetime, I expect to see three, four, perhaps even more women on the high court bench. Women not shaped from the same mold, but of different complexions. Welcome back mm. to United States of Women. Season three, New Jersey. 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 I'm here with the lovely Jessica. Hello. And the voice you're listening to right now is Elizabeth. I always feel weird introducing myself. I don't know why, but I do. Mm. And this is United States of Women, the Geek Elite Media Network, Women's History Podcast. Hey. Actually, we're the only history podcast on the network. It's fine. <laughs> um where we get to sit around and talk about women who are not so famous, but are very important to history. Yep. So, this week, Jessica, and mm-hmm. cue for our listeners, we're going to be talking about bras. Well, that's a thing I deal with. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't happen to know anything about a bra. No, not a thing. <laughs> Don't ever deal with that. How familiar are you with the history of the bra? Um, I mean, I kind of sort of know not quite how they started, started, but I know like, you know, corsets to brassiere to all these things to torture devices to no, 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 this one actually supports you to no, no, yeah, like I kind of know that <laughs> thing, but that's that's fair. So actually, we're going to go all the way back to Greece, ancient Greece. Yep. For the first potential inkling of a bra. So in Homer's Iliad, the poet refers to Aphrodite's embroidered girdle. Girdle. Okay. Um as being loosed from her breasts. So as opposed to, at least when I think of girdle, I think of the lower half. Yeah, it's like, it's like the bottom half of a corset from what... Yeah. Um, these reference, This reference and additional references suggest that ancient Greek women would wear something that would be akin to a bra. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but there's not a ton of evidence, because obviously fabric doesn't last that long. No. Um, there's considerably more evidence um, of use of the Roman sepatorium, which is a garment that would support a woman's chest by, like, hooking it around her neck. <laughs> mm, that seems problematic. Um, slash, like, this weird crisscross of support, which is somewhat more similar to what we have today. Okay. But again, we're dealing mostly with writings and interpretations from statutes and paintings, because the materials didn't last that long. Oh. Um, the next reference to something that would be a bra uh 
actually has come from uh, Lindbergh Castle in Austria. And it was only discovered in 2008. Oh, well. So up until that time, we had no historical reference or guide to women's undergarments from the fall of Rome Mm -hmm. until the introduction of the corset Mm -hmm. in the Victorian era. (laughs) Yeah, there had to have been something in between those two eras. Right? So in 2008... uh, 3,000 textile fragments were discovered during a renovation project in Lindbergh Castle in Austria. And among those were four lace-decorated undergarments. Hmm. Um, The first and the second one had kind of a high neck, almost pull-up kind of uh, design uh, that were sleeveless. The third had two broad shoulder straps with a possible back strap. So something similar to what we would a have A more now. modern, yeah. Yeah. And then the fourth would resemble what we'd call a long line bra. So like just dips way down and just kind of covers. So just kind of gives like an underwire support yep. type of thing? Exactly. Mm-hmm. But that's really the only reference we have for that entire time period <laughs> I mean, that really makes bras. a lot of sense when it comes to like yeah. history and women and women things in right. general <laughs> um starting in 1533 uh with queen catherine de, Medi- de, de medici um we finally get references back to female undergarments in history. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is the introduction of the corset. Mm -hmm. And Catherine de de Medici um, is credited, is often credited with the creation of the invention of the corset. Hmm. Um, And this was, you know, the, the first was, they were known as a pair of bodies and they were made of ivory silk and enforced with whalebone or reeds or, if, yeah. if you weren't um, if you ended up needing a less expensive um, and this was pretty much the way it was until you get to the Victorian dress reformation movement mm-hmm. okay in which we move from the corset to what is now the bra. Um, and it was kind of, it came about from two, a two prong attack. The first being, as you and I have discussed before, the perception that corsets were not healthy, according to then doctors. Mm-hmm. Mostly the problem was here we have to tighten it so tight that you can't breathe. Yeah. No, 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 no. You don't have to do that. <laughs> it's not actually required. You can just get one that fits. Mm-hmm. Um, so health professionals' concerns regarding the cruel and constraining effects of the corset. And then a clothing reform movement of feminists who saw the need to get rid of the corset so women could participate more in society. 
because if you can't breathe, it's really hard to speak yeah. and have your voice yeah. heard. And Which, <laughs> I mean, this isn't anything against the corset because it was more actually the idea that women had to have tiny waists. Yeah. Like it wasn't about bra support with the corset that they were bad. It was because they were literally tightening them too tight and, you know, collapsing their lungs sometimes to look that hourglass figure when an actual corset actually was really good for what it did in supporting you and more importantly, supporting your heavy clothes that you could like hang your little undergarments and underskirts yeah. off of. <laughs> like there's a good to way to wear a corset. Your hips. Yeah. There's a good way to wear a corset and then there's a bad way to wear a corset. And it's just, it was society was like, you need to wear it the bad way. And, <laughs> and the women were like, let's not, let's just not, let's just find something better. <laughs> yeah. So from there, there is great dispute about who invented the modern bra. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> the, let me guess. Between a man and a woman? No, between like 12 men and three women. Oh, okay. Like, All right. Yeah. Um, so there is a patent. There, there are several patents, but the first... The oldest push-up bra that we have... Push-up bra? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the oldest push-up bra that we have in existence comes from the early 19th century, so the early 1800s. Uh-huh. And it is currently in the Science Museum in London. Ooh. But a bra-like device was patented in 1859 by Henry S. Lesher in Brooklyn, New York. And... It was designed to give a symmetrical rotundity to the wearer's breasts. It was designed to make boobies look good. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Instead of just supporting them. Yep. Um, which, quick question though. Yeah. When were women allowed to get patents? Was it around this time? Like, would the women, women even be able to get a patent for their invention of the bra? Of their version of the bra. Well, I'm trying to think back to the timeline in last season yeah. when we discussed the U.S. Patent Office. That's what I can't remember. So I think they could, but they didn't. It, it probably wasn't like yeah. commonplace. Exactly. Like it, you know, it's one of those like, do I really want to deal with getting a patent as a woman and getting slammed down or doors closed? Yeah. And so, well, and, and we'll get there because because oh, yeah. there are several pieces. So that was filed in 1859. And in 1863, a corset substitute was patented by Lumen Chapman of Camden, New Jersey, mm-hmm. which is often referred to as a proto bra. And in 1876, a dressmaker, Olivia Flint, Ooh, yay. was granted four patents covering the true corset or the Flint, Flint waist which was aimed at larger-chested women. Mm. And then in 1889, Hermine Cadol of France invented the first modern bra, at least according to Life magazine. So, like, you've got all these different... Everybody's just working on it at the same time. Everybody's working on it, and all the designs are a little different, Mm -hmm. and so... Trying to find that perfect formula. Exactly. For different reasons, depending on what you think the perfect formula is, whether or not it's support and no back pain, or we want your booby to look nice. Yes. (laughs) So, you know, you see, you got the first 
inklings of a bra in mm-hmm. the mid to late 1800s. And then you turn to the 20th century in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. And in the 1910s and in the 1920s, it became more prevalent to try and restrict the chest because you wanted a boyish look. Yeah, that was just a look. I mean, especially everybody knows that 1920s looks where it's those super tight dresses that, yeah. like, and you just you wanted to bondage them down because you can't have curves in those dresses. Exactly. And then also, oh, no, I remember there's a specific movie, Thoroughly Modern Millie, in which she has she has a bust and her problem was the necklaces wouldn't hang how they're supposed to hang straight because of her bust and she hated it. <laughs> so you get you get that um, to begin with. <laughs> and this is when we get our woman with a dream mm-hmm. who comes onto the scene, Ida yes. Rosenthal. Okay. And we'll get into her story. Okay. But she and her business partner and her husband come along and essentially redesign the bra altogether. Ooh. And they noticed that the same bra didn't fit every woman. So they invested in and developed what they called bras for all ages. Okay. Okay. And it was designed because they actually were originally dressmakers. Her Ida Rosenthal's family were dressmakers, Mm. Cohen and Sons. Okay. And then they opened a dress shop and they were trying to sell dresses. The bras weren't making the dresses look good. So they basically reinvented the bra to sell more dresses and then everybody loved their bras. They quit (laughs) doing dresses. But, um, in any case, they took the shaping of the bandeau bra mm-hmm. and enhanced the support, um, creating their company. And so they kind of shifted away from the flattening of the bust to accentuating and supporting mm-hmm. the bust in the change. Mm-hmm. So from there, we get the word. That, so that was from then... Brazier had been the word, but in the 1930s, we switched to bra. Um, and in the second, and then in the 1940s, you have the Second World War. And because women were now enlisted as nurses and mm-hmm. secretaries and those kinds of things, you end up with the more standardized sizing because they need to be able to produce them for uniform mm-hmm. yeah. quickly. And post that you then get all of this, you get the start of all the different variations that we have, the push-up bra, the cone bra, the da, 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 playing with different fabrics and materials and shapes and support versions. And, but the basic doesn't really change from then till now. So, that's kind of the history of the bra mm-hmm. that we all still have to suffer through. Uh. Uh, <laughs> but, the woman who dreamed, Ida Cohen Rosenthal. I want to turn to her. Mm-hmm. 
Ida was born Ida Rukovich. Rukovich? How would you pronounce it? Kirknovich? Kaganovich. Kaganovich. And she was born in Raqqa near Minsk, Russia. Um, she was the oldest of seven children mm-hmm. born to Abraham and Sarah Kaganovich. Um, her father was a scribe and her mother ran a small general store while she was growing up. Mm. Uh, as a girl, Ida was apprenticed as a dressmaker, and at the age of 16, she moved to Warsaw, where she worked and took classes in Russian and mathematics, basically mm. to run her own company. Upon returning to Rakhov, Ida met and fell in love with William Rosenthal, mm. who would later become her husband. His father was a teacher and a collector of Hebrew books. Uh, Ida and William became heavily involved in the socialist movement Mm -hmm. in Russia, uh, getting themselves into some deep trouble. In 1904, it became clear that William was going to be drafted to go fight in the Japan-Russo War. Ooh. Yeah. And to avoid that, Ida immigrated to the U.S. with William following right behind her. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, they landed in Hoboken, New Jersey, where Ida changed her maiden name to Cohen. She mm-hmm. Americanized it. And she began to support herself as a dressmaker. Upon the rest of her family following in 1909, mm. the Rosenthal-Cohen clan set up uh, Cohen and Sons. Which hmm. still exists today. Yeah. Um, selling silverware, cut glass, and clocks. Ida um, married William in 1906, and in 1907, their first son was born, followed by their daughter nine years later. In 1921, Ida entered into a partnership with Ed, Ed Bessett. Who had call, who had a shop called Ed, Edna Frocks. E N I D. I have no idea how to pronounce that. Um, and they were a dress shop. So Ida and Ed Indy Indy Indy. How how is it E E N I D Aneed Aneed. Yeah. Ida and Aneed um designed dresses. Along with William, and really, Anid and William would design were the design half of the firm, uh-huh. and Ida ran the business side uh, with her math- with mathematics, her mathematics. Yeah. Um, and they began to realize that the dresses were starting to change in the later part of the nineteen twenties, mm-hmm. and they discovered and the issue with the fact that the bandeau. Brazier didn't fit all of the women the same, and it made the dresses look funny. Yeah. So, Endy, Edney, Edney cut apart one of the bandeaus and then redesigned it for a fuller figure for mm. one of their customers. Mm-hmm. 
they liked it so much that they ended up making those more regularly mm-hmm. to sell with their dresses. So they, they sold them as, as coupled. You bought the bra and the brassiere and, and the dress together. Yeah. So that it would all fit. And from there, our customers began to not, their customers began to not want the dress at all. They just wanted the bra Wait, sold can separately. I just the bra? Yeah. Can I just get the bra? And so the partners decided to establish the Maiden Form Brazier Company in hmm. 1930. Soon after that, uh, in Inid uh, would ha- had to withdraw from the partner, had to retire because of her because of health concerns. Mm. Um, but the partnership continued. She was still considered a partner in the business. And in 1960, the company name was changed to Made and Form Inc. to conform with the trade name of the company's product. It's still here today. It is. Because I was going to look up, what did these bras look like? And it's like, shop Made and Form. As low as $19. Yep. And it is um, run by Ida's daughter, Beatrice, today. I was going to get there. Um. Sorry. I'm like jumping ahead because I'm like, I want to see pictures of these bras. and Yeah. So the company grew more and more successful every year, um, and they ended up, by 1938, they had a grossed annual earnings of more than $4.5 million. Wow. Yeah. Um, in the late 1940s, Rosenthal, along with an ad, um, an ad maker, a copywriter for New York, created the slogan um, and the now famous I dreamed ads that were all in terms of I dreamed I went shopping in my maiden form bra. Oh. I, so, and it featured women in less traditional roles and basically kind of played the maiden form bra gave you the freedom to do mm-hmm. all those things because it fit whatever your figure was. During the late 1930s and the 1940s and 50s, William Rosenthal served as president Mm -hmm. and Ida served as CFO. But William died in, in 1958 and Ida became president of the company. A year later, she became chair of the board and her then son in law, Joseph Coleman, took over the presidency. From there, while all of this is going on, Ida and um, William were heavily involved in the Jewish community mm-hmm. in the area. So during this time, uh, there were several other inventions that they in adaptions that they made to the bra. For instance, um, William invented the standard for cup sizes that we still use today Mm -hmm. for all the different bras. And Ida in 1942, Ida received a patent for the adjustable fastener. Right. (laughs) Super helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) They also were heavily involved in the Jewish community in the area, Mm -hmm. including um, bringing over all of William's father's collections of records Mm -hmm. as a school teacher from Russia and donating them to establish the Rosenthal Collection oh. in the uh, 
New York Public Library. Nice. Right. They continue to be heavily involved in donating to the uh, various communities and the family in various Jewish causes, such as the Anti-Defamation League and the United Jewish Appeal. Hmm. They established a foundation about 10 years later that ensured a librarian would be paid to care for the Rosenthal collection that they had put together for the New York public, for the New York university. Uh, in 1943, they established camp Lewis for the boy scouts of America in memory of their son who had died in 1930. Right. Um, after William's death in 1958, her son-in-law, mm-hmm. just Dr. Joseph Coleman, took over the presidency of the Maiden Form Corporation. He then died in 1968, and Ida's daughter, Beatrice Rosenthal Coleman, gained control over the company. Uh-huh. Ida had a stroke in 1966, which made her no longer... Uh, she, she was unable to actively run the company after that point. Um, it just took too much out of her. And when Beatrice succeeded her husband, she then appointed her Beatrice's daughter, Elizabeth Coleman, uh-huh. to the presidency, and she is still the president. She still runs the company today. Today, Wow. Um, Ida Rosenthal passed away on March 29th, 1973, in Hoboken, New Jersey. Hmm. Where she lived until her dying day. Oh. But that is Ida Rosenthal. The reason that we have Actual. bras that don't make me and you wear the same size. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is much appreciated. Yeah. That is nice. <laughs> but, um, so that is the woman who dreamed. And we'll have to figure out how to show people our listeners but like these are what the ads look like and so it's just a lady like sitting in her bra and whatever bottom half and uh-huh. it says things like i dreamed i went to work in my maiden form bra or i saw i dreamed i went to work or went bowling in my maiden form bra was when i saw <laughs> i think my favorite is is this one and it's i think it's a little hard to read in this picture but it says i dreamed i won the election in my maiden form bra ooh or, I dreamed I took the cue in my maiden form bra, and she's playing pool. I love it. Actually, right? I kind of like. I kind of. I'm serious. I might buy one of these bras. Or like this one. She's she's on a wrecking ball, like for building a sky or taking down a skyscraper. Oh gosh! And it says, "I dreamed I got a lift in my maiden form bra." <laughs> or playing off the cowboys. I dreamed I was wanted in my maiden form bra, and it's a wanted poster. Oh, my gosh. Um, so it was a highly successful ad campaign, and I think they're, I, they're highly entertaining. But that is Ida Rosenthal and dreaming the woman who dreamed of a better bra, which we all appreciate. Yeah. So, <laughs> Jessica, where can people find you at to discuss the advantages of... Corsets. Ah, you can find me on Twitter as JM Bailey Writes. Yeah, let me know your opinion on the corset and if it's 
if we should bring it back or not. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can find me with the rest of Geek Elite Media at Geek Elite Media and our Facebook page forward slash Geek Elite Media. Archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts can be found at geekelitemedia.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on whatever podcatcher you use so that we can reach out to more listeners. But until next time, this is the United States of Women podcast mm-hmm. reminding you to always remember to geek, geek out. out. This concludes our broadcast.